Hi there, welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. Uh, This week, James is continuing our series to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. Hi, great to be with you today. If I'm honest, I'm feeling a little bit bogging today and uh, I apologise if I have a bit of a Barry White going on. My voice has definitely dropped. A little bit, but really excited to be continuing our series today at Justly Love Mercy Walk Humbly from Micah 6 verse 8. Now Alice started last week by looking at a passage in the book of Amos culminating in this verse, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And this is the kind of verse that I just want to shout out yes to, yes, yes Lord, that is exactly the longings of our heart. And and Alice just drew out from Amos and her talk was, if you haven't seen it, just beautiful. I was back in church and wept. You, you know, you have that moment, the Holy Spirit just meets you. And as Alice was speaking, it's like, oh, you're opening up my heart. And just sat there weeping. But as she just unpacked this beautiful passage in Amos. But she talked about God being a God of justice, that we're called to be a people of justice, And as his followers, we're called to act justly. Now, today I want to pick up on this second phrase, love mercy. As we think about our city, as we think about Cardiff and the surrounding areas, it's, it's a messed up city. Just like any other, we have got broken families, domestic abuse, breakdown of community, people struggling with overwhelming debt. COVID hasn't helped that. People trafficking, sex workers, gambling addictions, food poverty, isolation, loneliness. I could go on and on. And as I as I read that list, if I'm if I'm honest, I feel deeply depressed. Like, oh. So on that side I feel depressed. And on that, I'm like, I feel annoyed. And I'm glad that I'm bothered because it means deep inside, I feel that's not how God intended it to be. It's not all right. And at the, at the point we kind of read this list and think about these issues and go, oh, well, well, we, we've given up. So if, if you feel troubled by that, I think it's, it's good and that God cares about it as well. A couple of years ago, I met up with somebody in, in our church who wanted to talk to me about victims of sex trafficking. And as she started talking, I realised, oh my goodness, I am so unaware of the issues going on here. And we're talking about an issue that's not out there, but is in our city. And the other thing is our venue is, is down in a particular area. And she was talking about actually it's really, really near to a sex trafficking area. And she's like, this is happening around the corner. And, and it's really dark. Now, this requires both justice and mercy, justice to see systemic change and mercy to love deeply and with God's heart, those trapped in poverty and abusive relationships. And, And the Bible tells us over and over again that God's heart is for the poor, the lost, the lonely, the broken, the marginalized, the hungry, the fatherless, the orphan and the widow. And in the book of Isaiah, Chapter 58 in the Old Testament, God talks to his people about what true fasting should look like. On the surface, this group of people look godly. You know, their outward appearance was one of godliness. And it's like, oh, you know, we're fasting and we're doing this. But God's like, 
you're doing all of this religious activity, but underlyingly your heart hasn't changed. I look at what you're doing and I despise this. They appeared to be speaking, uh, seeking sorry, God's will and presence. But God was looking through the outward veneer because he sees straight to the heart, doesn't he? And he said this, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all of your workers. And God was saying, you're superficial. You pretend to seek me, but you don't care about what I care about. And then it goes on in Isaiah 58 from verse six, we're given a vision of God's kingdom and what it's meant to look like. And it's a vision of justice and mercy. Is this not the kind of fasting? It's not just going without food and then continuing to do everything else and exploiting people. Is this not the fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, to break the addictions and hold that the enemy has over people because God is in the restoration business. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. What an amazing picture to have the glory of the Lord following us, protecting us, watching over us. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. When we align ourselves with God's heart, with God's passions and desires, what he's saying is, I will answer you. If we're to reach the broken places in our city, if we're to respond to God's word, to remember the poor, it will take God's compassion and God's courage. Because the reality is most of us just want an easy life. It's a great idea talking about compassion and talking about this subject. But when it begins to require something of us, where it costs us something, up until the part where God says, I want you to move into that rough neighborhood or become involved with your incredibly messy next door neighbors, the part where God says, I want you to be financially generous here. He asks us to be the solutions to somebody else's need. Compassion is a nice sounding word, but it requires action. It requires intentionality. It requires courage. And that's why one of our values is courageous compassion. Mercy requires courageous compassion. It requires listening to God's promptings and leading, leading, sorry, it requires spending ourselves, giving ourselves away on behalf of others. And that's why it has to come from God's heart. He is the one who implants his heart in us. And today, I just believe that God wants to remind us of his heart. Have you ever read a book that completely undid you? Apart from the Bible. I'm, I'm going to give the Bible as a given because it does. It confronts us. Well, The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns was a book that I read shortly after moving to Cardiff. And in fact, in preparing, I was just rereading some of the chapters and the Lord just started ministering to me again. And the introduction begins, what does God expect of us? And this is a question that the book then goes on to answer but the bible when read with an open and receptive heart is deeply confrontational challenging and uncomfortable <laughs> it's all of those things yes it's beautiful but it but it challenges us you know in that moment where we're like oh, i just want an easy life and god's like no i've called you to more than that 
This word mercy that I want to unpack today is not a soft, warm, fuzzy word, which often we think of it as being. It's powerful. It's deeply compassionate. And actually it hurts. To be compassionate hurts. To see with God's eyes is both beautiful and costly. Micah 6.8, he has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. So just a tiny bit of context. Micah was one of the, the last of the four great 8th century BC Hebrew prophets. So the other three were Amos, Hosea and Isaiah. Now, Several commentators have noted that in this one verse, Micah is summarizing the three great themes of the prophets, Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. So the prophet Amos, which um, Alice looked at last week, is talking all about justice. And that's what Alice spoke about. The prophet Hosea's book is all about loving mercy. And the prophet Isaiah calls us to the quiet faith of a humble walk with God. Micah being the last in the line of prophets, underlined for the people of Israel and for people living now, what God requires of every one of his followers to act justly, to have mercy, to walk humbly with God. And and the, the phrase courageous compassion is so well summed up in here. So just coming back to this idea of mercy, what, what am I talking about? Jesus told his followers to be merciful, just as your father in heaven is merciful. So what does it mean to be merciful? Well, there are a number of different Hebrew words in the Old Testament and Greek words in the New Testament uh, that we translate by the English word mercy. So the word mercy here in Micah 6 verse 8 is the Hebrew word chesed, which could be rendered as steadfast love or covenant love. In the old King James version, it is loving kindness. Here in Micah 6, 8, most translations have the word mercy. But another Hebrew word that is translated into English for mercy is the Hebrew word rahamim, a word which is derived from the same root as rahem, which means womb. Now, this is, I think this is deeply profound, but it communicates the deep feeling of a mother towards the child of her womb. Think about how a mum feels when they're pregnant and the, and the, the child in the womb, just this deep, deep love. When used of God, mercy expresses the thought in theologian Karl Barth's phrase that the personal God has a heart. One Greek word in the New Testament that is translated by the English have pity or feel sympathy is the Greek word, I might get this wrong, splanchinosmia. I've got that completely wrong, but you know what I mean. This word is derived from the word splanchna, which means the inward parts or the entrails, especially the heart, the lungs, the liver, the spleen and the kidneys. It's, it's used to describe the feeling that Jesus had deep within his being at the sight of profound human suffering and need. Mercy is a deep, visceral feeling of pity. So bringing all of that together, can you see how this word is not weak, but it's incredibly strong, it's powerful. And so much of the problem Christians have in showing mercy is that none of us have mercy towards issues. We have mercy towards people in need. So long as something remains an issue up here to be discussed and debated, it's very difficult to have mercy for it because it's, a, it's ethereal, it's up there. When it remains as an abstract issue, it's a head issue. And the abstract issue, for instance, of teen drug abuse doesn't necessarily evoke feelings of mercy, But when your son or daughter, the child of your womb that we talked about earlier, falls in with the wrong people and begins to take drugs, at that point your heart becomes engaged. 
It's like, oh, how can that be? That's not all right, because suddenly it's become personal. It's moved from just being an issue out there. It's like, oh, it's deeply personal. At that moment, you become powerfully engaged. Mercy in the Bible is evoked by people we personally know. That's why when you feel hard-hearted towards a group of people or you listen to somebody else communicating what seems to be really hard-hearted towards a whole class of people, you think to yourself, would you actually think this way if you were face-to-face with this, with a real person or somebody who was in need? Most of our hearts soften when we're in a personal relationship with somebody. They start explaining their story. They start detailing what has happened. Suddenly we're like, oh, wow. That's why it's a non-negotiable, or to put it another way, it's a biblical imperative that we are actively involved with people who are suffering and in need, people who are downtrodden and marginalised, because at that point, it stops being this theory about something to being a reality of, I can see that person in my mind. And that's why God's like, don't leave it there. Don't leave it up in your mind. It's got to be a reality in your life. Mercy in the Bible is more than feelings. Mercy is compassion in action. It's courageous compassion. Mercy mercy is certainly more than feelings. And it's also more than talk. It's easy to be deceived that we are fulfilling God's requirement in in Micah 6 verse 8, that we love mercy because we've talked about the plight of the poor or, or we've done a Bible study for 10 weeks on the poor. Nor is it mercy just to talk about the sources of poverty, to share statistics on how many people are homeless in our community. It's not mercy to consider the effects of the welfare system on the poor or to discuss how many people may be misusing food banks. Discussion, debate, arguments or fill in the air with piles of words until we get hoarse is not mercy. So what is mercy? Well, the best biblical picture of mercy is the figure of the Good Samaritan in Jesus's parable that we find in Luke 10. We read that the Samaritan took pity and then acted decisively to help this wounded traveller on the roadside. He bandaged his wounds. He put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. It was his action that demonstrated mercy. And Jesus concludes this parable by asking, well, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All around us, if we choose to open our eyes, are people who need God's generosity and provision, God's encouragement and mercy. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus having compassion. When he saw the crowds, Matthew 9, 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mercy is not only courageous compassion. Mercy is often mundane action. What do I mean by mercy is often mundane action? Well, in life, we're often awed by people who have special talents, people who are really good at things. The, uh, the amazing, you know, somebody who's brilliant with a musical instrument, we listen to them like, that's incredible. They sing, they play, they're professional sports, whatever it is, but people who do something really well. But in Matthew 25, Jesus describes the people who are going to inherit the kingdom. And he says people will inherit the kingdom because they do these six things. Matthew 25, 35 and 36. For I was hungry and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And notice that these activity on Jesus's list are accessible to virtually everybody in the world. 
You don't need special training to feed somebody who is hungry. You don't need a qualification to give your lunch away. It's all very mundane and it's very simple. If you, are, if you see somebody who's hungry, you give them your lunch. No training is required. Jesus simply teaches that we should extend these mundane acts of mercy to people outside of our families. As, as our society has changed and in many ways become more broken, the danger is that we've become more and more insular. We look after ourselves. We look after our own family, which is deeply important. I'm not saying that. But what is sacrificed can be anything outside of the inner circle. We may be generous to our own family, but lacking in generosity to the need of all of those around us. And in protecting our own, we have missed God's heart for those he puts in our path. Coming back to this idea of mercy again, mercy is giving people what they don't deserve. In the gospel, God shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he instead gives us what we don't deserve. God does not consume us with his wrath, but instead he consumes his wrath on himself by becoming our substitute, by Jesus hanging on the cross and taking all of the sin and all of the mess and all of our stuff, paying for our sins, giving us the gift of salvation. He took everything. And it's the picture of mercy that we come back to. The world is an unmerciful place. Mercy demonstrates that a new world order has been broken in through Jesus Christ. Over and over again, Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah says, go learn what this means for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The kingdom of God is all about mercy. We are able to give mercy as we understand how merciful our God is, how much grace he's given us. It's that exchange when we sit before him and we're like, you have given us everything Mother Teresa once told this story. At a seminary in Bangalore, a nun once said to me, Mother Teresa, you are spoiling the poor people by giving them things free. They're, they're losing their human dignity. When everybody was quiet, I said calmly, no one spoils as much as God himself. See the wonderful gifts that he's freely given us. All of you here have no glasses, yet you can see. If God were to take money for your sight, what would happen? Continually, we're living and breathing and living on oxygen that we do not pay for. What would happen if God were to say, if you work four hours, you'll get sunshine for two hours? How many of us would survive then? Then I also told them, there are many congregations that spoil the rich. It is good to have one congregation in the name of the poor to spoil the poor. There was a profound silence and nobody said a word after that. You can just imagine, can't you? Just a Individuals and churches can sometimes be worried about somebody misusing or abusing their charity. And certainly we don't not only want to love much, but love wisely. But still God wants our hearts to be merciful like Mother Teresa, like God's own heart. God regularly gives people what they don't deserve. Do you treat people better than they deserve to be treated? Or have you become deeply judgmental in your own heart? What about people that make decisions that you're like, what are you doing? People that hurt themselves. Do you pe treat people who have messed up, people who've made bad decisions, people who have lost hope and dignity better than they deserve to be treated? That's mercy. He's showing you, all of you people, what is good at and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. 
But how does doing justice add to what churches and Christians do in showing mercy? So I just want to talk about the difference between justice and mercy for a moment. Justice deals with root causes. When you feed people that are hungry, you are showing mercy. The search for justice begins when you ask why the hungry are hungry. The late Harvey Kahn, in distinguishing between these, asked the following. What would the instrument of the church be in effecting change? Not simply charity, but also justice. Charity is episodic, justice is ongoing. One brings consolation, the other correction. One aims at symptoms, the other at causes. One changes individuals, the other societies. So we've got to have both of these, justice and mercy. Ron Sider, who has often distinguished between mercy and justice by telling a story that I've, I've, I've used once before, but I find it so helpful. So there's a group of devout Christians and they lived in a town located at the foot of a mountain. And the mountain was notorious for its winding, slippery road that meandered through it. The road with hairpin turns. I can remember when I was in Bolivia, actually. I think I went down the world's most dangerous road. Absolutely terrifying. I had to shut my eyes. But I, it was one of those roads where you're going around and you meet like this lorry coming on the other end. There's really no road there. It's like a dirt track on the side of a mountain. You're like, <clears throat> no guardrails. But consequently, the mountain was the scene of many tragic car accidents. Some of the accidents were fatal and the caring Christians were saddened and decided to purchase an ambulance so they, they could do their part in rescuing the perishing and caring for the dying. Now, the three churches in the area pooled their resources and a state of the art ambulance was now available to help in case of emergencies. Many, many lives were saved, though some of the accident victims were paralysed for life. One day, a young visitor came to town and was perplexed because he felt that the town could build a tunnel through the mountain, close the road and save lives. And he made this recommendation to the churches and they were offended. And they told him that though the approach was technically possible, it was not realistic. The road had been that way for a long time. So why should they change it? Moreover, the mayor owned a large restaurant and gas station halfway up the mountain. And he opposed the idea because of the economic repercussions that he and the community would suffer. So the young visitor was shocked at the response of the people. He then suggested that perhaps they should approach the mayor about the idea of closing the road and constructing a tunnel in order to save lives. And he suggested that if the mayor was against it, they should elect someone who was open to making the changes necessary to make a life-saving difference. The citizens were outraged that this young newcomer would want them as Christians to become involved in politics. They told him that the church was called to just preach the gospel and to give a cup of cold water to the thirsty. Its mission, they said, is not to dabble in worldly things like social and political justice. The young stranger left disappointed and disheartened, and as he left the village, he could not help asking himself, is it really more spiritual to operate the ambulance than, that picks up the bloody victims of destructive social structures than try to change the structures themselves? People need both mercy and justice. So as I come in to finish, I believe that mercy is a biblical imperative. In other words, the question isn't if you're involved in mercy or compassion ministries. It's how are you involved? God says, if you love me, you will love the poor. In Galatians 2 verse 10, Paul says to the Galatian church, whatever you do, if, if you remember nothing else, whatever you do, remember the poor. Now, I don't in any way like this phrase, the poor, because it signifies us and them, us who have and those who don't. 
This is where it comes back. We're all in need of God's mercy. In Hebrews, it says, in view of God's mercy. In other words, we all come from a level playing field. It is by God's grace. We are not better. We are all made in the image of God. So the danger is we put it as an us and them. It's not. Matt will talk about this next week, but the key distinction is that we are called to walk humbly. That's what stops it being that humility. And that just means recognising that we're in no way better. It's just that God is asking us to give from our loaves and our fishes. Mother Teresa says we can do no great things, only small things with great love. As a church, we have multiple compassion ministries because God has called us to love our city. These ministries enable people to be able to serve and demonstrate Jesus's love to those in need, whether financially, emotionally, spiritually. Yesterday was Love Cardiff, where we were like, put on a whole load of projects to demonstrate God's love for our city, to give people an opportunity to be involved, to shine a light and to be like, this is what we care about as a church. And we are never gonna back down on that because we believe that it's God's heart, demonstrating God's love to our city. As the church emerges from COVID, I would love you to consider how this, what this looks like in your own life. What does serving the city look like? What does serving people who have less look like? Some of you already do it in various ways outside of the church. And I want to encourage that and be like, brilliant. And we bless you to continue this. For others, this is a reshaping moment. I want to just tell you just for a moment, just in finishing, just some of the things that we do to demonstrate God's heart in this city. We've talked over lockdown about TADVA and we're um, looking at just putting a, we interviewed our fifth resident. Over the next year, you know, this has been a project that has been brilliant and we would love to see more houses, you know, rather than again, this isn't just dealing with the, whether it's mercy and justice. It's like, actually, we want to see people come out of homelessness. That's, that's our heart. Get back on their feet. Meet Jesus. Grow Baby, which provides equipment and clothing for under fives. This is run throughout lockdown. And we're looking to restart the community element and also to expand across the sites as well. We have a central one, but we're looking at that as well. Storehouse, which is the provision of furniture to those in need across Cardiff. We're praying that God will provide new leaders and more team. Blend is a community coffee morning for asylum seekers and refugees. This will be restarting in the next couple of months as the regulations allow open door which is friday church for the vulnerably housed and homeless community that started a restarted a couple of weeks ago prison ministry had a little text from pete um pete and bill went last sunday into the prisons and um they just spoke about the 16 people there men there and just invited the spirit of god and just seeing the spirit of god hover over men in that place was absolutely beautiful we're looking at food provision as well. We think that this will be one of the big areas. And so we're looking at cooperatives around that, how we can be involved, how we can partner with other organisations. I spoke to Chloe earlier in the week who heads up our Restore Ministries. She said, we're scratching the surface of what God is calling us to as a church. I love that. It's like, yes, Chloe. You know, it's like, yes, we're, do we're doing some fab things but there's more lord would you open up our hearts to see where there's real need to see where you're moving and what you're asking us to move into
In the end, God simply calls us to be faithful to the things that he's given us to do. He doesn't require us to be a superstar, to be amazing, just faithful and obedient. I just want to pray in finishing. Your scripture is so challenging. Lord, the parts of us that get hard, the parts of us that get weary, sometimes reading scripture, you impart your heart again. Lord, you give us everything that we need. And so we choose to open ourselves up before the spirit right now. Come and search us and speak to us. If there's parts of us that need realigning, would you realign them? We give you permission. You love people. You love people. Put your heart in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.